invite you to open your Bible up to John chapter 14. Go ahead and go over to John 14. We're going to be in verse 15. Now, as you turn there, we've been in John for a while. We've been back in John. This is our fourth week back in John. We took a little break in between there, between chapter 12 and 13. But one of the things I think we can't, that's easy for us to lose sight of as we're going through this, is that we lose sight of the story. We miss out on the characters, on everything that's happening. We jump straight to the theology. Oh, well, what does this say? What are all the principles here? And we forget that the characters in here, that this story is a true story with real people. So before we jump in, I kind of want to just take some time and reflect, where are the disciples at right now? What kind of mood are the disciples in when we get to this passage? Well, let's think about their story. Where did the story for the disciples begin? They were called. They're doing their life. They're going about. This is what we saw back in John chapter 1. And John uh, the, the Baptist sees and behold the lamb. And two of his disciples go and they follow and Jesus calls them. They then go and call other people. Nathaniel and Peter are called. And so at the beginning, and we see this in the other Gospels, these disciples are called. They were doing their own thing, but Jesus calls them. They've been called by Christ, and then they walk with Christ. For the last three years, they have just been able to observe everything that Jesus has done. And they, they've seen all of these teachings of who Jesus says he is. They've been there. They've witnessed it. They've witnessed incredible signs. Beginning back in chapter 2, they saw water turn to wine. They've seen Jesus heal the lame, the blind, the paralyzed. They've seen Jesus feed the 5,000, a problem that they thought was way beyond them. Then right after that, they get into a boat. They're, they're without Jesus. They're freaking out because there's this storm, and Jesus comes and calms the storm. They've seen Jesus raise the dead to life. They've heard profound teachings that Jesus is, that he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. So far, when we think about the, the story of the disciples, a lot of times we'll say, man, how cool would it have been to be one of the disciples throughout all of this. How cool would it have been to see all of those things? When we think about their story to this point, we're like, man, they had such stability. They were with Jesus. Every time that something happened that they thought, oh, nothing's going to get us out of this, Jesus would do something. It's led them to believing that Jesus is the Messiah. They've had a few bumps, but overall, it's been pretty good. They've experienced some storms, but Jesus got them through that. They've experienced some opposition, but Jesus stood up to the opposition. They've seen Jesus conquered. They've seen Jesus moving forward. In fact, just a few days before our passage, the last big thing that they saw was Jesus coming in as king. The triumphal entry, where all of the masses seem to finally get it. They're shouting out, Hosanna! Is that the mood that the disciples are in right now? That they think, man, we've got this all figured out. We are stable. We're on a good foundation. Everything's fine. Even if they've had three years of this, no. Because in the last hour, everything's fallen apart for them. The last chapters that we've been in, from chapter 13 all the way through 17, all of that happens in the space of a few hours. Going on is also the same night. Everything happens in this small context, and it's overwhelming, and it's completely destabilizing the disciples. 
It starts with Jesus doing something entirely unexpected. He washes their feet. Jesus, this, this isn't done. You don't wash our feet. That's not the position you're coming to take. You're supposed to be the king, not the servant. Jesus then says, one of you will betray me. What's that bombshell going to be like? In the other gospels, they're asking, wait, is it me? Is it me? They don't know. They don't know who the person is that's going to betray. That's destabilizing. He then tells them, I am going away, and where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus, three years ago, you said to follow me. Jesus, I left everything for you. I left all of these things behind. I've been following you. I've been faithful for three years, and now we get to this moment and what you're saying, because I have expectations. I'm expecting you to be the conquering king. You're the Messiah. And now you're telling me I can't come with you? That you're going to leave me? This isn't the plan. What kind of teacher abandons his pupils? What kind of king leaves his people? He then even says in the last passage with Pastor Billy, you don't know me because if you knew me, you would have known my father. What do you think the mood of the disciples is right now after these things keep happening in the last 30 minutes? Well, it says in, at the beginning of John chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. They're unstable. They're in turmoil. That word troubled is to be stirred up. Let me give an, an, an illustration, a physical illustration I think most of you have experienced that kind of gives you an idea of what emotionally this feels like. Have you ever been at your house in the dark and you're walking down stairs to gr grab something and you know how many stairs there are. You don't need to turn on the lights. You're walking down and you get to what you are positive was the last step. You're sure. And you take out that one more step expecting to find solid ground and all you find is air. What happens in those that millisecond? <laughs> Arms flail. Things go wild. There is a, a, it's, a it's amazing how s slow time can go in that little bit of time. You step out. You're sure what's going to be there. Solid ground's going to be there. And you find air. That's the physical equivalent to what emotionally is happening for them. If I can use a metaphor of a little bit more than that, if um, I enjoy... Flying, as a kid, we used to do all of that. One time, uh, my uncle's a pilot, and he let me uh, fly with him. I, would, I think I was like four. But it had, you know, it had the two different um, steering wheels. Where's Billy? Is that right? Billy, steering wheel, I guess? I don't know, something. There were the two, and he let me take control for a bit. But he was right there, and, and it was fun, and nothing bad happened. And I love flying, but that's because I've never really experienced turbulence. Some of you have experienced times where you're like, I don't know if we're going to land this plane. And flying feels a little different. I imagine if you were making it worse if it was a helicopter. Like a helicopter to me, flying in a helicopter, like if you're in a plane and things start going bad, you can kind of glide. Things start going bad with a helicopter, that's it. It starts spinning out of control. That's kind of where the disciples are right now. It's spiraling. We don't know where, if down is up, if up is down. We don't know what's going on. Things are spinning so fast, we're blacking out. I don't know what's happening. Everything that I thought was my stability has been removed. Everything that I thought was going to happen is looking different. Have you ever felt that way? More, I, I've felt that way more times than I want to admit where life is going, things, things seem to be stable, I take the next step expecting to find solid ground and all there is is air. That I'm in the, the, the helicopter and it starts spiraling out of control and all of my sense of stability 
is gone. We have all these things we know and expect to happen, and then they don't. So what do we do do in those moments? Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. But that's a lot easier said than done. Right? If, if you're in the helicopter and you call control and you tell them, listen, the helicopter's out of control, we're going down, mayday, mayday, and they say, well, just don't. Stop. <laughs> Let not your hearts be troubled. What? That's really easy to say. But Jesus doesn't just tell us let not our hearts be troubled. He provides the stability we need. We've already asked the question what the mood of the disciples is. They're troubled. They're unstable. They've encountered turbulence. But how about Christ? What's the tone of his words? Where is Jesus at throughout this entire passage? Jesus says he's troubled as well, but it's in a completely different way. Jesus is troubled with grief. Jesus is troubled with the sorrow of sin. But Jesus is not troubled in the sense that he is experiencing turbulence and he is unstable. See, what we see in Jesus throughout all of these passages is a peace and a stability and a steadfastness. The disciples are beginning to spiral, but Jesus doesn't respond in kind. He doesn't yell at them to knock it off. He doesn't join in their instability. Jesus speaks peace. He remains steadfast, and in his peace and stability, he offers the same for us. Here's our big idea. Christ provides stability as we pursue our purpose and rest in his peace. Christ provides stability as we pursue our purpose and rest in his peace. Let's look at John chapter uh, 14, verse 15, to see the first element of the stability he gives. This is what it says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How many of you look at that verse and you think, yep, there's stability. It's right there. That's what we've been looking for. This is the stability we need. I didn't. Doesn't this just add more instability? Wait, wait, right now, things I don't know what to do, and you're going to add something else to my plate? I don't know what's going on. I don't know if up is down or down is up. I'm not sure. And you're going to say right now, if you love me, you will follow my commands? I've got other things going on. Now's not the time. I'm freaking out. Just give me some space. When I was studying this passage, I, I, I really had a hard time with this verse. Because I think that the point is what we find in verse 27. In verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Okay, there's the stability I was looking for. He's going to give us peace. And then throughout the rest of the passage, we have all of these things that demonstrate what he's giving us. All of the things, if you look at your handout, there's in bold all of these things that he is promising. Great. That to me looks like stability. And yet five or six times, depending on how you look at it, throughout this passage, he comes back to this idea, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look, it says it in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Verse 28, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Verse 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Do you think that maybe Jesus is trying to communicate something here that he sees as important? Look at how many times he repeats it. And as I'm studying this passage, I'm like, wait, I, I'm not getting the connection between, hey, this is all the things that are going to happen. Here are all the things. I will give the Holy Spirit. I will do all these things. But then how do we rectify this part over here? 
What's the reality? What happens when you begin to spiral? Does spiraling, does letting it happen, does giving it time lead to stability? When something begins to spiral, do we just say, hey, like it's kind of like a swing set. Like my kids right now, their favorite thing is to take Joanna, my seventh month old, and keep spinning it, spinning it, spinning it, and letting it go. It's not my favorite thing, but they love it, and she seems to appreciate it too. Now, do I look at that and I'm saying, okay, yeah, but give it time. Don't jump in. If you get in there and just stop it, you're going to hurt someone. Just let it do its course. It'll go. It'll go a little bit the other way. Then it'll come back then there, and then eventually it'll find stability. I think that's what we think will happen when we come to a place where we're unstable. Hey, just give me some time. That's not how instability works in humanity. Instability works for us as a downward spiral. It's that marble that you drop at the top, and it starts going and going and going and speeding up and gaining more and more speed. Stability, instability, leads to more instability. Spiraling continues and grows until you are going out of control. Spiraling leads to more spiraling. Once it begins its cycle, that's hard to break. Once you find instability in one area, how quick are you to seek out the instability in all the other areas? I thought this was unique to me, and then I started talking to more people and doing more counseling and figured out, oh, I'm not alone. Everyone does this. When you, find, when you feel like a failure in one area, how quick are you to then point out all of your failures in every other area? Ah, man, I, I yelled at my son. I'm not being the dad I'm supposed to be. Like, you know what? I'm probably a failure as a, as a husband, too. I don't love Hannah the way I should. Man, don't even get me started on being a pastor. Like, that person called me and I didn't answer the phone because I was on my day off. Man, and then how many times where I'm supposed to be reading scripture, but then I'm, I'm just tired and I slept a little bit more. Oh, I'm a failure as a Christian. And I just start spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. Do I get to the end of that and I'm like, okay, I found my stability now. See, the temptation for me my first inclination when I begin to spiral is to alleviate what I'm feeling, but not in the right way. My temptation is for me to either turn to the wrong thing or to turn to nothing. When I'm stable and turn to the wrong thing, that looks like turning to things of addictions, turning to things like alcohol, turning to things like anger, turning to the exact wrong thing that will not help my spiraling at all, but it might make me feel a little bit better right now. But does that lead to stability? No, it just leads to further instability. I turn to the wrong thing. When I don't turn to the wrong thing, though, I usually just turn to nothing. What I mean by that is apathy. Turning to things like, you know what, this is just too much. I'm just going to watch YouTube. I'm going to watch some funny videos. I'm going to watch this sitcom you know what, I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to let it go away. You know, I'm going to just invest all of my time in these hobbies. I'm just going to let my mind go blank. Does that somehow fix the problems when you come back? So why doesn't Jesus just let them have their time? Because that's not going to help them have stability. What does Jesus call them to do? The next right thing. Jesus, we're unstable, we're troubled. Jesus is in peace. He says, hey, focus right here. If you love me, do what I've told you to do. What about all that? No, 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 right here. If you love me, do what I've told you to do. Six times. No, but Jesus, I don't think, one of us is going to betray you. Maybe you missed that fact. Hey, Satan just entered one of our friends. Hey, they're going to come kill you. Whoa, whoa, hey, look at me. Do you love me? Do what I've told you to do. What's interesting is he doesn't focus on a command. 
He doesn't say, oh, well, when those happen, this is the command that you need to follow. No, he just says, if you love me, follow my commands. This is the amazing thing that that happens. Here's the truth. There are few things more stabilizing in life than pursuing the purpose that God has given us. There are few things more stabilizing in life than pursuing the purpose that God has given us. When everything feels like it's breaking apart, when you think that you are drowning, when the helicopter, all the lights on the dashboard are flashing and you're yelling, Mayday! That's the moment when you say, God, what is the next right thing I need to do? What is the thing that I need to do right now? I can't tell you how many times I've seen that in my own life and in the life of others, where they feel incredibly unstable, and that is precisely the time that God calls them to follow his commands and love and serve someone else. Have you had that happen in your life when you're like, God, I have nothing to give. I am freaking out right now. And that's the moment that God says, hey, I'm going to put someone in your life that you can love. I'm going to put someone in your life that you need to serve. And what we would think on paper is, no, wrong time. Don't give that to them. But that is precisely what they need. That is what brings us back to the place of stability. What do you do when the helicopter is spiraling? Well, I, I, I have no personal experience on this, but I've watched some movies, so maybe that helps out. But when they're, when they're f- doing all these things, what do they tell the pilot to look for? Find the horizon. Find the point that is stable. Allow that to bring you back to stability. This is what Jesus is doing. If you love me, Because I love you, as has already been shown through the other chapters. If you love me, follow my commands. Allow that to bring you back. Christ stabilizes us when we pursue our purpose. We are stabilized as we do the next right thing, but there's more. Because Christ also offers stability as we rest in his peace. He gives us stability not only as we pursue our purpose, but also as we cling to his promises. This passage is full of promises and assurances for the believer. So the first stability we see is the stability of submission. Hey, I'm freaking out right now, but I'm going to submit to you. I love you, so I'm going to do what you have commanded. So now let's move on to the next stability. It's the stability of the Spirit. Look at verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What does Jesus tell them that he's going to do? Hey, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. This isn't on you. You're not going to pilot the helicopter alone. I've put in the call for an ace pilot. I've put in the call for someone that can keep this ship going. Now it says that it's another helper, so who's the first? When he tells them, I'm going to call for another helper, who's the other helper that he was talking about? Well, it's himself. He's been their helper. Over the last three years, he's kept them on course. But why are they freaking out? Because he's told them, I'm leaving. Well, who's going to fly the ship now? You invited us. You called us. I wasn't so sure about getting on a helicopter. It looks like a death trap. But I'm like, all right, I'm going to get on. And for a while, I really wasn't sure sure about it. But then you kept on passing all of these things and going over the mountains and, and everything was fine. So I finally got confidence and we're feeling good. But then you said you were going to jump out. But what stability does he give? It's the first, it's that amazing promise. The helper will be with you. I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you. See, this is an amazing promise because in the Old Testament, when we were talking about the Spirit, that wasn't a guarantee. 
That wasn't something that everyone got. There are moments in when you read the Old Testament that someone was full of the Spirit and they did incredible things. And what Jesus is promising right now is that these disciples are going to receive the Spirit. But then the promise becomes even greater because how long is the Spirit going to be with them? Forever. He will give you the Spirit to be with you forever. So who is this Spirit? Verse 17, it's even the Spirit of truth. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. This is a member of the Trinity. This is the Holy Spirit that, gives, that God gives us, that seals us, that shows us that we truly belong to Him, that gives us the stability, that counsels us, that comforts us. The word here, the helper, is an advocate, one who comes alongside and helps you in your time of need. Notice the stability we find here in the Trinity. It's asked by the Son, it's given by the Father, and we are helped by the Spirit. And it's a special and exclusive gift because it says the world cannot receive. Why not? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. Now wait a second. Jesus, we haven't really met the Spirit before. What are you talking about? What do you mean that they haven't received him but he dwells with us? Because they have Jesus. In the last passage, as Billy was talking about, hey, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. You've seen the Father. Because you've seen me. The Spirit dwells with you because I dwell with you. The world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why? Because who don't they know and who have they not received? Jesus. You know him for he dwells with you. And here's the third great promise. And he will be in you. He gives us the Holy Spirit to abide in us. This is what happened at Pentecost. In Acts 2 where it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what happens for all who have received Christ. Romans 8 verse 9 says, you however are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Well, who is the Spirit of God? It's the Holy Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the amazing stability There's another helper who will be with us forever, who will be in us. This is the two things I want us to see, and we're going to add a lot more, but here's the two things I want to keep on going back to as we're going through this passage. What do we do when we're unstable? You do the next right thing, and you cling to the promises of God. You do the next right thing, What is the command that you must follow in this moment? Do that. And then hold on to the things that God has said will happen. The things that God has guaranteed. That's where we find stability. So let's continue. The next thing that we see is stability in salvation. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. How are the disciples feeling? They've, they've, in their minds, they've given everything to follow Jesus and Jesus just said, hey, I'm leaving you can't come. Feels a little bit like abandonment. And I know that the disciples aren't the only ones who have felt that. How many times have you said, God, I'm I'm following you. I'm doing everything that I think I need to do, but right now, I just feel like you're nowhere close to me. I'm feeling a little abandoned. What does he say? I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. Yeah, I, I am leaving. I've got something to do that's for your good. If I don't do it, it will be far worse for you. I need to do this, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. What was said in John 1, that those who are in Christ, that we are given the right to be called children of God, we're not orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, here's one of the things that we need to work on. So traveling instructions, right? We need to realize that there are certain things that we have to understand. Who is this talking to? Who is Jesus talking to originally? It's the disciples. He's talking to these people. And what we need to be careful is not to just say, oh, man, this is a direct promise to me. Because what we can easily do is, okay, um, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Well, when's Jesus coming? Oh, the second coming. He's coming back. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the promise. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is making a unique promise to these disciples. What he's talking about is the resurrection. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. Well, wait a second. If it's the second coming, is the world seeing him right now? No. So it's not talking about that. What is it talking about? Hey, for a little while, the world will see me no more. I'm going. The world's not going to see me. They had a chance to see me this time that I've been on earth. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. Well, what day is he talking about? Is the only day that we know that Christ is in the Father on the second coming? No. What proved that the Father was in Christ and Christ was in the Father? What revealed that? The resurrection. The fact that he went and conquered our greatest foe. The fact that the Father glorified the Son and gave him life. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Jesus is talking about the salvific work that he does. It's the action that he does of dying. That's why they won't see him. But then why do they see him? Because he's coming back to life. This is the promise. Because I live, you also will live. Now who receives the life that Jesus is promising here? Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. This is the stability of salvation. When we feel unstable, this is what we go back to. Wait, as much as things feel like they are leading to my demise, as they are leading to my death, I know that I am stable because he lives, I live. I'm going to try to fix that real quick. That'll drive me nuts. I don't need to fix it. You guys did it. Great job. We have this stability in Christ. But then what does it go back to? Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Again, he keeps on going, hey, hey, rest in my promises. Rest in my peace. Hold on to these things. But then he comes back and do the right thing. 21 again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then he goes on and he shows us the st our stability in our standing because he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do we deserve to be loved? Are we going to succeed in following his commandments? No. And yet, can we be stable in our standing before God that he loves us and that Christ loves us? We can. Because of the work that Christ is doing, we can have that stability. We also have stability in our shelter. Look at verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? This doesn't make sense, Jesus. You're supposed to be establishing the kingdom right now. Let's go conquer people. You're not going to be able to do that if they can't see you. Hey, this is our king. What king? He's here. You just can't see him. 
but you should listen to what I'm telling you anyways. Jesus, this isn't going to work for us to establish what we think you're here to establish. So, yeah, if you're going to manifest yourself to us but not to the world, I'm not sure that that makes sense. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Again, he goes back to that. And that my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. His is another amazing fulfillment of something that the Old Testament was looking forward to. In the garden, God didn't dwell with his people. There was a relationship, but he still didn't dwell with them. Then after the fall, they didn't even have a relationship with him. We see some progression in that because we see that the tabernacle comes, the temple comes, so his presence is there. We see the cloud of fire, the pillar of smoke. We see some of those things. But he's still not dwelling with them. There is a separation. But then we come to John 1.14, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Corinthians, we know that we, he dwells within us, that the Spirit, that we are the new temple. In Revelation 21.3, what we are looking forward to, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the promise. This is the stability of verse 23 that our shelter will be with God because he will dwell with us. The Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you see all of these things that Jesus keeps on coming back to? Are these questions? Are these things that might happen? They're like, well, we'll see, we'll see if it works out. There's a 50-50 chance. No, these will happen. Continuing to verse 25, we have stability in, in Scripture. It says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in me, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now you might look at that and you say, I'm not sure stability in Scripture really is what that's talking about. It looks like you were just really forcing some alliteration. Maybe. No, this is one of those promises, again, that's not to us. This is a promise that is to those disciples. What hope would we have of knowing what Christ did, what he said, what things were revealed? How do we know any of those things? Because we have this word. Well, who wrote the word? Disciples. So far from what I've seen, these guys, I don't know if I'd put my whole life based on the things that these guys have done so far. But I would put my whole life on the Spirit who reveals. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, those apostles, all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We have stability in knowing that this is truly the word of God. This is First Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have stability in knowing what the commands are. We have stability in knowing what has been promised. Then we get to verse 27 and we have stability in shalom. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is, this is bigger than just what we think of peace. Usually we think of peace as, well, this country is at peace with this country. There's not a war. That equates to being in peace. But it's much more. The word for peace is, is the word shalom in the Old Testament. It's much more than just the lack or the absence of conflict. It's the fulfillment of promises. It's the provision of blessing. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This, again, is the fulfillment of the promise. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Ezekiel 37, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We have the stability of receiving the peace. Whose peace is it? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. What, what, what peace does the world give? Have you noticed how many things the world tries to offer stability in? Hey, 100% guaranteed satisfaction. Oh, you want, this roof is going to last 30 years. Invest in this, you're definitely going to get your money back. Hey, this person will never betray you. Till death do us part. All of these promises that the world says, hey, this is going to give you peace because you can be sure that this is a strong foundation. You will be stable in this. Is that the way that God, Christ gives us peace? No, because what about the promises of peace that we see from the world? Do they really give peace? No, they just spin us in circles. We just start pursuing one thing after another and just going after, after these things until we begin to spiral. That's not how God gives peace. Not as the world gives do I give to you. My peace I give to you. He then comes to verse 28, which is a bit of a chastisement. He reveals why they are unstable. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. This is a little hard. Because did they rejoice when he said he was leaving? And what was the qualifier? If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. What does this reveal? They didn't love him the way they should. It's the same thing that's revealed for us. When we don't follow the commands, what does that reveal? We're not loving him the way we should. See, the question is, were they truly unstable? They were unstable. But why? If I could illustrate this, so I don't think any of us here have been in an out-of-control helicopter. If you have, I want to hear the story. Talk to me after. We've never really been in an, un, uh, an out-of-control helicopter, but have you pretended to be in an out-of-control helicopter, and I would say most of you have. And you might be thinking, I definitely haven't, but I'm going to demonstrate it very quickly. When you start doing that, I'm not going to do it too long because I'll get dizzy. When we were kids, what would you do? You would start spinning around. You're, 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 you're looking like a little helicopter. You do all of this thing, and when you stop, what happens? Everything that actually is stable suddenly seems unstable. You're the one that's unstable. You're the one that's been spinning. And then you stop and everything that you thought was stable all of a sudden seems unstable. Is it? It's not. Why do they feel like the helicopter is going down? Is it because Christ experienced turbulence he wasn't expecting? If Christ, like, guys, um, we're out of gas, and I'm going to jump out. I'm going to try to find some more. I'll come back. I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but that's why we're, we're experiencing the instability. Has Christ changed plan, changed course mid-flight? No. All of the things are still stable. Is he abandoning the controls? No. Here's the helper who's going to keep flying the ship. And yet what is actually stable seems unstable to them. Why? Because they don't love him the way they should. Because they have been pursuing the world's peace. When you start tracking after all of the things that the world says will bring you peace, you're going to start spiraling. 
How long do I need to spin until that which is stable seems unstable? When we pursue the world's peace, it will spin us in circles. It teases us with the promise of peace and stability, but all the while it's spinning us around until that which seems stable appears unstable. The problem is that many times, not all the times, we, we feel like we are falling in a helicopter that has lost its stability when in reality we've been playing make-believe helicopter and lost stability ourselves. N now, here, here's what I, I want to just make clear. Is it okay for the Christian to be troubled? Yes. Christ is troubled in chapter 13. Christ is troubled when he is with Mary after Lazarus died. And yet in our verses here, it says, let not your hearts be troubled. How can we have the two sides of that? How can he be troubled and then tell us not to be troubled? Because there's different ways in which we are troubled. Christ was troubled because he had sorrow because of sin. Because he was seeing the results of living in a fallen world. Was he troubled because he felt unstable? Was he troubled because he wasn't going to do the next right thing? Was he troubled because he didn't hold on to the promises of, of God? No. That's okay. There are going to be things in your life. There is going to be immense hardship. There is going to be grief and loss and sorrow from sin. And you're going to be troubled about that. That's okay. But it's not okay to become unstable. When we are unstable, it is always because we place our foundation on something it should not have been placed on. If we're thinking, no, what brought me stability was this person being alive beside me, we're putting a foundation on something that it shouldn't. If we're thinking what brings me stability is the finances that I have, it's the home that I own, it's the relationships of people around me, it's the promises that people have made to me, if those are the things that th you think make you stable and they're lost and you grow troubled, you're growing troubled in the wrong way. This is where we often can think that things are unstable when they truly aren't. It's just we who are unstable. But what we have is stability and sovereignty because in, 14, in verse 29 it says this, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. He's in control. He knows what's happening. L let me ask you this. Is anything that Christ has revealed, anything that Christ has done, for anything less than their good? Has anything that he's done, is it any of it less than for their good? No. Out of all the decisions that he has made, were any of them made with anything less than love for them? All of the things that happened are actually for their good. The things that they think are leading to their instability are actually what will provide stability. Christ is leaving. Why is he leaving? To die for their sins. Christ is coming back. Why is he coming back? Because he's coming back to life. Christ is giving them the spirit. Why is he giving them another helper? Because that's what they need. That is what seals them. All of the things that they think are what is causing instability are actually the things that cause the most stability. And only a sovereign God could do that. We reach the end in verses 30 and 31, and what we see is Christ's example. This is what he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. If there were something that would cause you to be unstable, I'm pretty sure that that would be a good thing right there. The ruler of this world is coming. Who's he talking about? Satan. If you came and said, hey, Satan's coming for you, that would make me unstable. That would make me kind of freak out. And yet look what Christ does. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. This is the demonstration of the peace that Christ gives. 
Christ is facing a trial far greater than the disciples. He is facing turbulence far more violent than what they are facing, and yet he is totally secure, totally stable. Why is he so stable? Because he's holding on to the promises. He has no claim on me. And because he is doing the next right thing, I do as the Father has commanded me. This is the example that we need to follow. When you are unstable, look at the example of Christ. Hold on to the promises. He has no claim on me. I know what is true. And then do the next right thing. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. When did the disciples find stability? It wasn't right here. They're still pretty unstable, and we we know that because later on they're all going to run away. They're going to deny him. But they did find stability. When they saw the resurrected Christ, when they saw the promises fulfilled, they found stability. What period of the life of a disciple would you point to as being their most stable time? I think we would like to say, oh, it was when they were with Jesus, those three years. Not based off of what we're seeing here. According to the world, when would they say they were most stable? Oh, well, when they had the Son of God walking with them that could just, you know, poof, 5,000 people fed. It's not according to, not really when they were most stable. When were they most stable? When they were facing persecution? When they were in prison? when they were martyred for Christ, and yet they were the most stable. Why? Because they did the next right thing, and they held on to the promises of God. That's what we need to do. We need to understand that Christ provides stability as we pursue our purpose and rest in his peace. Now, you might be thinking, I I can't do this. I can't follow the commands the way that I should And you can't. But there is a way to do it. But we're not going to get into that this week. That's coming next week. Next week, we come to verse 15, chapter 15. And in chapter 15, we see Jesus say, I am the true vine. The only way that we can do the things that Christ is commanding us to do is through Christ. It's through him. It's through abiding in him. But that's what we're going to get to next week. That's a teaser. Come back so that we can see more of this. For right now, as you are facing unstable times, I'll call the worship team up. As you are are, are spiraling and you don't know what to do, understand that Christ provides stability. Pursue your purpose and rest in his peace.